Father, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we do lift up once again the prodigals in our midst and the prodigals in our lives. And God, how our heart breaks continually for those that we know so well. And Lord, the more we love someone, the more they can break our heart. And so, Lord, I pray that as we prayed before, that you would move on their heart with the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to their heart in a clear and concise way. Lord, I pray that you would draw them with your spirit, bring them to a point of repentance. I pray that we'd never give up praying. And Lord, now as we open up your word and look at expanding that prayer circle, I pray that you bless our hearts, speak to us as only you can. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let's take the word of God this morning. And as we do, we want to turn to Romans chapter 1. I visited here uh, a little bit in the last series of messages, and I enjoyed the visit, so I wanted to visit again. Uh, Romans 1, great passage of the Bible. And as you know, as we've been praying for uh, your prodigal son or daughter all week long, it just reminds me of so much of praying for other people. I've been praying for for years, and now as I begin to think about praying for people around us and sons and daughters, I recognize the the fact that there are many sons and daughters all over the world. I I remember um, one pastor telling a story, and he's just trying to really teach on preaching really more than anything else. But he tells a story about being in a youth conference where there was a very large group, I mean huge group of youth and youth pastors. And he was going to go on after the next speaker. And so he looked at the next speaker, and he was really a nervous wreck. And he went up to him and said, first time, huh? And he said, yeah. He said, I'm not like you. This is the biggest crowd I've ever preached to before or taught before. And he said, well, let me ask you this. Would you be as nervous, and would you look at things differently, if your brother was in the audience, and he was not a believer, and it would be the last message that he would ever hear? And he said, yeah, that would really really change the whole way I'm looking at this. He said, well, somebody's brother is out there. And so when you think about that for just a moment, we think about missions and we think about people that have never heard the gospel, and there's somebody's brother, there's somebody's son, there's somebody's daughter. And when you think about missions, one of the questions that came up in our survey as we ask you what would be the one question you would like to ask God It was this question, what about those that have never heard the gospel? After all, there's a tension here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so when you look at that, that sounds pretty narrow. But really, life is kind of narrow. Think about it for just a moment. If you go in for surgery, would you really want the anesthesiologist to be narrow and precise? Would you want him to say, well, you know, wow, a hospital's a little bit out of uh, oxygen, so I'm going to give this patient nitrogen instead. Now, you wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want the surgeon to say, well, I, I know the liver's in here somewhere, and so I'm just going to sort of cut away at it. No, you would want him to be narrow. You would want him to be precise. But with this passage of Scripture and others that we've talked about in times past, there's that question of what about those that have never heard the gospel? What happens then? Well, this question came up with me in one of the first witnessing experiences I had in college. I was in this uh, common area sharing Christ with a friend of mine. <clears throat> and this other young man walked in and decided to have a seat. 
And he just listened. I could tell he was listening in to what was going on. And so I was sharing Christ with my friend. And my friend gets up and he said, well, Dwayne, I, I tell you, you know, I'll just, we'll just talk about this another time. I'm not really all that interested. And I said, well, okay. And the other guy said, well, I am. And it, it took my friend by surprise, like somebody would be interested in the gospel. And he said, this sounds like to me what I've been looking for. I said, well, wow. And so we began to talk. And the questions that came up in his mind, a couple of them I could answer. And then he got to this one. He said, what about those in Africa, he used that as an illustration, that have never heard the gospel? Well, I could not give him a satisfactory answer, so I, uh, we both set up an appointment. I set up an appointment with him and myself to visit my pastor, Bill Ricketts, Prince Avenue Baptist Church, in his study and ask him that question. And here's the, que here's the answer, pretty much, more or less, that he gave us that day. As we open to Romans chapter 1, we find that Paul is writing this letter, a doctrinal treatise, you might say, to the city of Rome. He'd never been to Rome before, and he finds himself in prison, unable to go. And so he's writing a letter to them, and the first five chapters talk about salvation. And specifically, in chapter 1, he addresses this question, what about the pagan? What about those who have never heard the gospel? What happens to them? How do they get saved? What does that do to our mission emphasis? Uh, how does that speak to us? Chapter 2 talks about the moral guy, the moralist, who says, I'm as good as the next guy, and I don't need Christ. The third chapter talks about the religious guy, the one who does all the religious stuff but doesn't have the relationship with the Lord. But here in chapter 1, we find uh, him arguing the fact that there is something about those that have never heard that makes it inexcusable in their life. Now, what is that? Well, I want us to look, first of all, at three things this morning. First of all, the options that we find. There are only three. Uh, number three, our second point is arguments. What about that argument for it? And then thirdly, what about our challenge? First of all, I want us to see this morning the options that we find. Notice it says here in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, as my friend was asking me, my new friend was asking me that question, there are three options. Number one, that God will not judge. I mean, after all, how can they be held accountable if they've never heard the gospel? And that was my answer, by the way. That's the answer I gave him. Well, I guess if they've never heard then they can't be held accountable for something they haven't heard, so I guess they just automatically go to heaven. Well, the problem with that is, is many, is at least threefold. Number one is that then there would be two ways to, re, to get to heaven, two ways, not one way. There would be the Jesus way, receiving Christ, and then there would be the way to, to avoid ever hearing the gospel, two ways. Secondly, and more uh, provocative maybe in our thinking, is the, the disservice our mission's emphasis would be doing to the billion-plus people that have ever heard. There's about 1.2 billion people right now in the world that have ever heard. They're not really in Africa so much. As a matter of fact, when you think about Africa, at least the non-Muslim countries of Africa are more evangelized than America uh, today. But India and China are very much in that window where people have, many, many of, of people in their country have never heard the gospel. It's kind of the last frontier in a lot of ways, that along the Amazon and other places like that. But here we find the question, what about them? Well, if, for example, this billion 
0.2 people have never heard the gospel. Now, if we don't do anything, they just automatically go to heaven. No problem. But if we send missionaries there, then they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to be accountable for the gospel. And most of them will not ever hear. They'll, they'll never decide for the gospel. They have too much religion in their background. They have too much of their own life in their background. They, they want to run their own life. They want their freedom in their own life. They don't want to give up control of their life over to God. And so most of them would then be held accountable for their sin where before they wouldn't be. If we just left them alone, they'd all go to heaven. And so that would make the Great Commission not make any sense at all. The Great Commission, we say it's a Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it tells us to go into all the nations. Many verses in the Bible. Acts 1, 8. We find it in Mark. We find it in Luke. We find it in John. Jesus said, go as I have gone. Over and over and over again, Jesus in his last words is saying, now take this gospel and go throughout the world. It just doesn't make any sense if, if God never judges them. But then, here's the answer to that, by the way. People are lost because they are sinners, not because they have not heard. Like, if you have a disease, and it's a fatal disease... You die because of the disease, not because you have not heard of the cure. Now, hearing of the cure might help you. It depends on what stage you're in. It depends on whether you're receiving that, that, um, that treatment or not and willing to receive it. But if you've never heard of it, you still die of that disease. So we look at this and we say, now, wait a minute, Pastor. I believe in a loving, loving God. I believe in a heavenly Father that loves us, that wouldn't do anything like that, send anybody to hell and have no wrath at all. Keep in mind this, please again. Keep in mind that the only way that you believe in a loving God is because of what this book proclaims. There is no other writings that I know of, at least in antiquity, no other religion that sp speaks to a loving Heavenly Father. It's usually a wrathful God, at least a judgmental God, and sometimes not a God at all. Sometimes just a philosophy. And so the only place we read about a loving God where Jesus says, uh, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love way back even in the Old Testament. We, we understand these things from the same Bible that teaches us that the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. And so there's an option that God just won't judge, but then life doesn't make sense. But the second option is that God will judge unfairly. Or he will judge, but it's just not fair that they've never heard. Well, Romans 2.11 tells us there is no partiality with God. Now, God is perfect, and therefore his justice is perfect. If we were to say God would be unfair, what we'd be saying is that right and wrong, fairness and unfairness, and justice is over God. But God is not under that. God is over that. Whatever he does is right. Whatever he does is just. You, you've heard me say a couple of times about the, the illustration about the blind men and the elephant, and that's the favorite, one of the favorite illustrations that atheists use. They say, no, even if you do believe in religion, no religion has all the answers, only partial. For example, if uh, you take five or six blind men, I think the illustration, six blind men uh, 
as the illustration goes. One of them rubs the side of the elephant. He says, oh, the elephant's like a wall. He says, no, no, no. The other one's rubbing the, the trunk of the elephant. Oh, no, it's not like a wall. It's like a snake. How can you say it's like a wall? It's like a snake. And the other one says, y'all are both wrong. And he's rubbing the feet. He says, it's like a tree trunk. That's what an elephant is like. And the, the fallacy to the whole illustration is it's assuming that somebody is seeing the whole elephant to understand that they all have a different perspective. How can you do that unless you see the whole elephant? And the atheist does not see the whole elephant. The only person that sees the whole elephant is God. He's the only one that knows what is right, what is wrong, what is fair, and what is unfair. So our third option is very simply this, that God judges fairly. Now, if that's the case, then what is the argument? Let's look at the scripture this morning. First of all, in verse 18, it does say that God reveals himself. And these, the people suppress the truth. They regress from it. They don't want it. But it says in verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through ha what has been made so that they are without excuse. Something here has made them without excuse. What is that? Two things. That God reveals himself through the consciousness of man and through the creation as well. Now, the consciousness. You and I made a commitment together that we would fast and pray at some 150 prodigal sons and daughters, we would pray for them all week long, and I pray for them by name. What are, what are some of the things that we pray for them? That I prayed that God, wherever they were right then, that God would reveal himself to them, that God would just overpower him, them with, their, with his presence. How can I pray that unless I have some precedent in the Bible to show me that? Here we find right, right here in the Bible that they understood at one time all I'm saying is, God, the same way they understood you as a five-year-old, help them to understand God now. Because you revealed them, yourself to them when they were a child. That's the reason you don't have to teach a child like one of these young people that sang for us this morning. You don't have to convince them that there is a God. You don't have to talk to them about they, they love fairy tales. They love Disney stuff. Why? Because it just gives a, really all that's just kind of a symbol of something that's supernatural. There's something else out there. You never have to convince them of anything like that. They understand it because why? God has placed the knowledge in their heart. One of the great testimonies I've ever heard was actually from a friend of mine back at Tacoa Falls College. I was studying there at my undergraduate level. And I ate, I ate lunch with a guy almost every day by the name of Harry. Harry Williams with a G. Kind of a, a very unusual name. But Harry was about... I'm 30 years old, well, the rest of us in our early 20s or even younger than that sometimes. And uh, he got called to the ministry later in life. And I said, well, Harry, how did you receive Christ? He says, I've got the most unusual testimony of any of you. I said, how is that? He said, well, he said, I came from a uh, pretty rough background. Ooh, well, news. Uh, you know, we could tell. And um, he said, I came from a pretty rough background. In fact, uh, years ago, several years back, I was actually living with my girlfriend in her parents' house. Now, 30 years ago, that was kind of unheard of, even though it's more common today. He said, I've been into this, been into that. I said, I had no thoughts of God whatsoever. No thoughts ever, it seemed like, entered my mind about God. I was driving home one day with my girlfriend sitting beside me, and suddenly I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. It was so clear 
that he existed. It was so clear that what had been taught to me about years before about Jesus, it was so clear that that was the truth. He said, I broke down in the car. My girlfriend kept asking, what's wrong? What's wrong here? What's wrong? He said, I can't talk. I just can't talk. He said, I went into the house without saying a word. Her, her dad was right there in the living room, didn't say a word to him. I just went into the bedroom, locked myself in the bedroom, dropped to my knees, and I began to pray, God, what's going on? God was revealing himself to Harry. He got saved right there in the bedroom as he prayed as best he knew how. God revealing himself. And this is what, what has happened. God has revealed himself. He's placed the knowledge of God in her heart. Then he says, on top of that, I've done it through creation. You can look at the birds in the air. You can look at the trees. You can look at the rivers, look at the oceans, and look at it and say, wow, there must be something else out here. There's got to be something. And so because of that, the Bible says they are without excuse. Now, does it mean they can get saved on this? Because this is what we call general revelation. It's general because it happens to everybody. It's not specific or special revelation what happens in the Word of God. We'll come back to that in just a moment. It says here, first of all, God reveals himself to man. Then secondly, man rejects God. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, for they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. How does this happen to an entire society? Because the leaders of society decide that this is what needs to happen. And when they're educating the rest of their society, pretty soon it permeates the rest of the society. That's why you find China and India in the place it is today, and why Africa was like that before 1950 and 1960. Because their ancestors decided to do this. They decided to turn away, without, turn away what was evident to them. Why? It says they did not give thanks. Strange, isn't it? That, that God would use that, did, that Paul would use that, did not give thanks. What does that mean? When you don't thank someone for something else, it means that you really kind of did it yourself. You know, I'm not thanking you because I did it myself. I didn't need you. I'm, I'm not dependent on you to thank you for anything. Sometimes a selfish child growing up, we had one of ours, we had to put to bed for about six hours one day, night, and he didn't think that we would make him skip church that Sunday night, but we did because he wouldn't say thank you. He was just stubborn about it. I will not say it. Why? Why? Because it says, I, I need you. They didn't give thanks to God. God, I don't need you. I just, I just don't need you. It says here in verse um, 18, suppress the truth, because they didn't want to believe it. They just didn't want it to be a part of their life. Thomas Nagel an NYU professor, let me remind you of this in his last word, says, an atheist, as, as I experience the fear as an atheist of religion, I want atheism to be true. I hope there is no God. I don't want to live that type of a world. I don't want to lose control of my life. Why does this happen? We said last week, there's a tension between freedom and wanting a home. There's a... a young lady that's in the entertainment field. And if I were to mention her, if 100% of you did not know who she was, then uh, I don't know where you are uh, in life. But anyway, you would know her. And I, I know her former pastor. And I happen to know that she grew up in a church. I happen to know that she served the Lord at one time. 
as in, at least in elementary school and middle school until she got in with Disney and some other stuff. And she's going way out there with freedom. And, you know, she's going to get married. She's going to get married, and she's going to find herself what? She's going to find herself a home. No, she won't. That's why you see so many entertainers get divorced and going from one thing that they, they, they don't want. They want the home, but they want their freedom more. And they're looking for a home, and they go from home to home to home. But what they're really looking for is the home with God. But notice it says here, they rejected the Lord. And so when you reject the Lord, you need something. No one worships nothing. Everybody worships something. So what did they do? Verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible, the perfect God, for the image of the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling, thing, crawling things or creatures. Man just replaced God. Idol worship. We see this, we saw this in Africa when we went in with witch doctors and idols everywhere. Always have to have something to worship. You see this in false religions of the Old Testament. They had false religions back then too, and they had all, all kinds of idols that they worship. Man is built to worship. There's no option that we don't worship anything. You say, well, no, I'm an atheist. I, I, I don't worship. No, you, maybe you worship your pride and your intellect. And you're just proud of the fact that you are not as dumb as the rest of us. Everybody worships something. And here's a good test. Whatever it is in your life that you think, wow, if I just had that one thing, if that could just work out for me, that would give me security. That would give me success. That would give me happiness. Whatever that is, that's probably the idol in your life. Whatever you get mad about, about God, it could be your children, it could be your job, it could be your career. And every time God doesn't answer a prayer right away about that, I mean, automatically you just get angry with God. That's probably what's on the throne. Man, man, excuse me, does not just simply worship nothing. And it says in verse 21, he's futile, he, his, 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 uh, his mind becomes impaired in his thinking. Even in our society today, two plus two now equals three and five, it never equals four much anymore. If you, you believe in truth, then you're laughed at. Their foolish heart is darkened, the Bible says. There's an absence of the light and the true knowledge of God. So what does God do? What does God do? Verse 24, therefore God gave them over. God releases them. God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. If you're going to worship God, you receive his truth. If you don't wor you worship something else, you have to receive the lie, whatever that lie is. And you lie to yourself about it. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, this word lust, by the way, in verse 24, does speak to sexual impurity, as we can find in, as an example of this in verses 26 through 32. But that's really a whole different message. This word lust here has a generic term of desire out of control. It's a desire that says, it's a super desire. It's an uncontrollable thing. It's when you, when you go so far into it, you can't stand it almost if somebody, somebody disagrees with you. Makes you mad. Somebody's going to vote for somebody you're not going to vote for. 
Man, you just can't see it, and you get upset about it. Why? Well, that's become kind of a thing you're trusting. You're, you're trusting in the election to bring about what you need in your life. And we can look at this. If I can be disturbing for just a moment, if I can make you mad for just a moment, you know, if you, if you believe the election's a big deal, I mean, more, more of a big deal than God, then this probably going to make you mad. But in our election, two-thirds, every stat I see, two-thirds of the people are voting against someone rather than for their candidate. So, man, 318 million people in the United States, and this is the two we have. What happened? Let me tell you something. Are you ready? We're getting what we wanted. We're getting a mirror image of two different candidates going a little bit two different directions as far as their moral center, which they don't have one, but a moral center and what they believe, and it's a mirror image of what's happening and what has happened to America. God is saying, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you your freedom. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you over. And so we find that societies that have been involved in this before have become darkened in their society. Because even the Bible says that we are influencing generations down to the third and the fourth generation, according to the book of Exodus chapter 20. And so we find this, and so what is our challenge? What does that mean to us today? Let's look back at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. All of mankind is loved by God, but they are without excuse, verse 20. But again, that's general revelation, isn't it? General revelation, seeing the trees and the rivers and having the knowledge of God in your heart, there's some God out there, there's just, there's just somebody out there. That's general revelation. Everybody has it, but that, that is not enough to bring saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It takes a special revelation coming from the gospel. Listen to Romans 10. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then... Well, they call on him. How do they do that? Well, they have to believe. How are they going to believe if they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? They will preach. Who will, who, who's going to preach unless they are sent? Just as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The gospel. That's, that's what good news means. The gospel in the original Greek language means good news. The gospel for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or the word of God. Romans 1, before we get into verse 18, Paul said this to the church at Rome in his introduction. He says, I'm under obligation. There's a burden. There's a passion. There's a passion on my heart. Both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise, to the foolish. Verse 15, so I'm eager to preach the gospel, the good news to you who are also in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here was a man who used to persecute the church. And on the road to Damascus one time, Jesus Christ just appeared and revealed himself to this apostle. And his life was forever turned around. He says, I am eager. I have a passion to preach the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, that you could come to know Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. So what do we do? What do we do? God 
wants to give us a new horizon. I love verse 11 of chapter 1. I've just got to share this with you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift that you may be established. This word impart is a funny word. It comes from the word horizon. It means to actually part something. When you look at horizon, you see the difference between, say, the ocean and the sky. It's a new horizon. And God, Paul is saying, church at Rome, I want to give you a new horizon. And I say to you today, I want to give you, or at least a refocus, if not a new horizon. Because as we are sitting here today, there's a billion two people that have never heard the gospel. There are people all around us that don't understand the gospel. They just don't get it. I know they don't get it. They think you go to church for political movement or you go to church to just get better. They don't understand that we're just a lot of people here that are thankful to God because we have a need in our heart to know the Savior and to grow in him. And so what do we need to do? Acts 1.8 tells us that we are to be witnesses in Jerusalem. That was their hometown. And Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. What do we need to do? We need to take the gospel message and serve the people around us. Sometimes we don't understand this, folks. You're in a service like this, and people say, why don't we just handle that on Sunday morning? I'm here. I don't have to come back. In fact, let's just handle the business stuff on Sunday morning. Do you know there are people here that haven't been to church in a long time? Did you know that? People sitting right around you. There was a guy that came to church about a year ago, and he said he used to be in ministry. But he hadn't been to church in 20 years. And he says, I'm gonna, I came to your church because I was going to give it one last shot. Can you imagine what would have happened to him doing business? Had another guy, what, about 30, 40 years? I don't know. He hadn't been in church that long. And he was invited by a friend, and he came, and we, we handled something that, like that? We need to be aware. We're not aware. We're just not aware of the people sitting around us and the lostness and, and the, the yearning to have a home. And they're hoping that we have the answer. And that's why when you leave here today, you need to speak. You don't know who you're speaking to. The person you may be speaking to may be thinking, this is it. This is, I'm, I'm done. I'll never come back again. The person that you may be speaking to may be thinking, that's it. I'm done with life. Our community, folks, our community that cries out, the people around us that cry out for a spiritual home, that they can cry out that God is their shepherd. So we need to serve our community. And one of the ways we can do that, by the way, is this Saturday. I tell you, there, there's so many people. We live in a different world today, and there's so many people who think to themselves, the church is just here for us, because a lot of churches, I guess, are, but I'm not real familiar with those. But they're just here for us, for, uh, for ourselves, and they don't serve. I remember a friend of mine going up north when all this service stuff first started in the community and really doing something targeted. Now, we've done a lot of service projects in the community, and we don't advertise that. And uh, that, that's bad because you don't know what we're doing, but also bad because we don't give you a chance to participate. So we're doing that now, this Saturday. But he goes up north, and this church, I think it was in Chicago. And um, 
His name, the preacher's name, by the way, is Ike Reichert, if you've ever heard of him, from Atlanta, Georgia. And he said he's going, and he's sitting in the elevator, and he's got these buckets in his hand, and they're to clean toilets. Because this church that they were going to visit was doing this seminar on how to serve. And one of the things they did, they took uh, toilet cleaners and go, they went into office buildings during the week and said, we'd like to clean your toilets out just to serve you. And so they're, they're carrying these things. they got their suits on, you know. And they're carrying toilets, toilet cleaners. And uh, these people get on the elevator and kind of look and they're kind of, you know, and they looked at them and said, this does not add up. So what are y'all, what are you, what are you guys doing here? And he said, well, uh, well, we're, we're at a church seminar, and, and they're, they're teaching us how to, you know, this church goes in, they clean toilets and everything like that, they serve the community. And, and the, these two people look at one another, and they don't they didn't mean anything bad about it. It, w- it was just, just dawned on them. And they said, wow, a church that serves. Ooh, immediately they were hit. Guess what they did? Come next week, they started cleaning toilets in their area. This Sunday, or this Saturday, from 9 to 12, we're going to have another work day serving the community. We did this. We had over 200 people last time. I'd like to have that, that many doubled over this time. We have so many things to do that our, our, our community wants us to do for them in these schools and other places. And we have the jobs I don't, we don't want to have to call back to them and say, we won't be able to get to your school. We won't be able to get to your, because our church did not respond as they did before. You have a chance to serve, and we always want to do this redemptively. Well, we need, not only need to serve now, we need to share the gospel with the people around us. We need to be aware of the people that's in our church. We need to be aware of our community as we serve. But also, we need to reach out to those in our nation. The North American Mission Board started an initiative about four years ago called Send North America under um, Dr. Kevin Ezell. And uh, Kevin's a friend of mine. I've, I've had lunch with him, but yet we're one of the few churches that are large churches that have not participated as yet. And Send North America, they've targeted certain cities, and they want large churches to adopt that city and go in and start churches in that city, getting other smaller churches to help. Well, we have one of our own going, Brandon, going and starting a church now in Winston-Salem. That's not exactly one of the sin cities, but the North American Mission Board, are get, they are getting behind them. The North Carolina Convention is getting behind them. And that's an opportunity for us. We not only have him going, but about 10 other people going with him, at least 10, to go and start that, plant that church. We have already a youth group going to, in order to help them get started this summer. We have all kinds of things going on. We need to reach our own area. I, I hope and pray that we're going to be able to start five churches, one here in the south and then one in the northeast, one out west, so we can send different youth groups and different adult groups to go out and do missions where it's not going to cost us a lot to do that on those trips, and we'll still be able to learn what it means to be on the mission field. Then, of course, we hope to start a couple of overseas churches as well, and maybe with Compassion International. But here we find we not only need to go to our community and to our nation, but we also need to go to the nations. Now, I know in this political season, you've heard the phrase over and over again, put America first by one candidate or another. Now, that's politics, folks. The person that's elected governor of this state, which he's not running now, but the person elected governor of this state does not need to put Alabama first. His job is to put his state first. It's the job of the president to put 
United States first, but don't let that bleed over into the church. We are not a nation here. We are not politicians. It's a different realm altogether. And Jesus has set forth a commandment of us to go and preach the gospel to all nations. And we've been all over the world. Just a few pictures here. We've been to uh, Peru. And here's a picture, right, one of these cameras. Do, do we have those pictures? Do we have those? Ah, there it is. And, and I shared some more stuff with you here about videos and things like that. But here's young girl, Peru, and uh, let's go back to that one, please. Let's not flip so quickly. But here's a young lady, young girl in Peru, and Compassion International is taken on a church, and they, after school, they have all these kids over, and they teach them the Bible, and they teach them how to live in life. And we've seen the graduates of this, and, and man, they're ready to go out into the business world. They're ready to go out and be doctors and, and whatever. They, they are really educated, but they, they understand the scriptures, and they're, they're saved. Then we have the Romanian mission, uh, 10%. Of everything that's taught in the business school in Romania is taught by our people. And here's just the, the church that sponsors them, Emmanuel Baptist Church, the largest church there. They have the largest uh, evangelical Christian school in the world as well. And then finally, I've been to India, and a lot of things have changed since then. But here's a couple. Here's worship Rod Gilbert, who we've been um, um, supplying uh, help for for the last 15 years has got this church. He started off with just a few people, a few hundred. Now he's got tens of thousands. Just the next picture. Just kind of roll through those. And, and here he is. And uh, uh, somebody's up there, maybe me preaching an interpreter. I can't quite uh, see it. And then finally, here's a man right here praying. He's a national. He's praying. Let me tell you about this guy right here. He's probably somebody's brother. And he's certainly somebody's son. And he's praying that God would send help. What can we do? We can go. But you can't go everywhere. But we are going to have a global missions conference, global impact conference coming up this fall. We're going to go back to that. We're going to call missionaries in from all over. You're going to be able to experience a lot of that. You're going to be able to, as, as a heart attack victim I talked to one time said, I was in the pain. You're going to be able to be in the passion. And then you can only go, you can only, you need to give. You say, oh, I just can't give. I mean, my, my goodness, I'm, I'm poor. I'm, I'm, I've got this debt and this debt and this debt. Even in our poverty, that's when we are. The, you know what the Bible says in Proverbs? Be generous with those around us. He that is generous with another, he says, will be refreshed. In fact, he said, it says, if you, whoever refreshes another, will himself be refreshed. And then we can pray. We've been praying for the prodigals. What about praying? What about praying for the world? What about praying for all the prodigals in the world? A.B. Simpson, founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, was famed of Every morning he would reach up and grab the globe in his hand and cry out to God, Lord, every creature, every creature. Putting his hand on each continent, praying for each one. What about us today? What about you? What about me? It's somebody's brother. It's somebody's son.
crying out for a spiritual home. In the quietness of this moment with his bowed and eyes closed, we have the privilege in this country of hearing the gospel many times over. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, I've never taken advantage of that. I've wanted my freedom and control of my life so much that I don't have the home. With nobody else moving around, please, all right? Just those who need to come to the podium, that's it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're willing to say this morning, Pastor, I've not taken advantage of that. I've not received Christ in my heart, but today I want to. I want to receive Christ. Would you pray this prayer with me right now, silently as I pray aloud? It goes like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of all my sin and all that I've done. Make me the person that you want me to be in Jesus' name. Amen.